Well, I want uh, you to take out your Bibles here today. I am the lucky one who gets to share the Word of God with you here today because Pastor Aaron is climbing a mountain. He is climbing a mountain with his two of his daughters here today, and so I get the opportunity to share this Word with you, and we're going to continue on in a series. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Pastor Chris. I'm the Connections Pastor here at the, tur- at the church slash youth pastor slash whatever else you want to add on to the end of that. That's what I do. And so I just want to share the word, though, with you, and I'm so excited to preach part two of this series, Awakening. Last week, if you were with us, uh, Archbishop Ken McNatt, Pastor Aaron's dad, shared the word, and it was a powerful word, and I'm really excited to just get right into it with you. And so we're talking about awakening, but really what we're focused in on in this series is the idea of prayer, the idea of prayer. Now, I want you for just a minute to to look at this uh, picture on the screen This was back in April of 1966. Uh, There was a Time Magazine article that came out and said, Is God Dead? 1966. And as that came out, there was a lot of turmoil in the nation. Really, that phrase, God is dead, came from Frederick Nietzsche, uh, who really popularized that, um, talking about, you know, if all this bad stuff's happening, then where is God? Is God dead? Now, during this time, there was the Vietnam War, racial segregation, protests and violence. There were assassinations, the rise of communism all around the world, the sexual revolution, and psychedelic drugs were used as counterfeit solutions. So it was looking pretty bleak. But I want to show you that God answered that question. I want to show you Time Magazine from 1971, the Jesus Revolution. The Jesus Revolution. I'm not going to ask how many of you were alive then, but I wasn't, for the record. But it was the Jesus Revolution. And I want to read you a a snippet of the article. Jesus is alive and well, and living in the radiant spiritual fervor of a growing number of young Americans. If anyone Mark clearly identifies them, it's their total belief in an awesome, supernatural Jesus Christ. Not just a marvelous man who lived 2,000 years ago, but a living God. Do we want that in our nation, church? So let me just ask you then, what changed? What changed in five years? I'll tell you what changed. It was the last great awakening that we had in America. Now, there's been some smaller revivals and things like that, but but that was the last great awakening that we actually had. It was called the Jesus Movement. Some of you may have gotten saved in the Jesus Movement or seen incredible things in what God was doing in the churches. A revival is is the church coming back to life. An awakening is when God pours out his spirit and impacts the whole culture. So a revival is not an evangelistic crusade. A revival is not a special meeting. We don't decide when revival happens. God does. Suddenly the community becomes God conscious. People are getting saved even before coming to a meeting. I was reading about the Hebrides revival, and uh, the Hebrides revival happened off the coast, if you don't know where that's at, of Scotland. You probably don't know where that's at, because usually that's how revival and awakenings happen, out of nowhere. Let me tell you how the Hebrides revival started. Two old ladies, an 82-year-old woman and her sister, 84 years old, and one of them was blind. And they prayed, and they contended And they went to the pastor. Now, mind you, the church was like 10 people. And they went to the pastor, and they said, Pastor, the young people are coming. 
like there's 10 of us, you know, what's, what's going on? And sure enough, with a matter of weeks, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit began to happen in such a marvelous way that 75% of people committed their lives to Christ without ever coming to a church. There were signs and wonders happening all over the place. In fact, there were boats that were going past the Hebrides, all right? So they weren't even stopping at the Hebrides. They were going past the Hebrides, and as they're passing, people were getting convicted of their sins by the Holy Spirit and began weeping and crying to the point that they had to have a chaplain get a little boat so he could go out to the boats and bring the people in to get saved and delivered. Could you imagine today if people are driving down Route 30 as we speak, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit convicts them and God turns the wheel and they move all the way into Wrightsville, Pennsylvania where an awakening is happening. How many of you want that? It always came at times when secular rationalism was being emphasized. My prayer is just like Habakkuk 3.2. He says this, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Do you feel that way? Here's the thing, though. He's not addressing uh, the rebellious people in this letter. He's actually addressing the remnant, the, the few and the faithful. And I wanna tell you that America has had a great awakening about every 60 to 80 years You can look at it historically, and usually they tend to last for about 20 years as society begins to unravel again. But I'll tell you, Jesus said, and I'm not a woman, but it's going to be like birth pains in the end. They're going to get closer. They're going to get closer as the time is coming. And so let me just tell you, the time is coming. It's coming. Revivals and awakenings, they emerge during times of spiritual and moral decline, which leads to intense prayer. Let me just tell you something They always started with prayer. Sometimes, no, always. Every once in a while, no, always. It always started with prayer. Never came without it. I'm just telling you right now, if the church isn't a praying church, we are not going to see awakening and revival in our nation or in our community or even in our families. We need to contend. We need to pray. Now, the Jesus Movement people, I see that there's a movie that's coming out in February. It looks pretty interesting, but it's pretty crazy because, like, it was, it was amazing. It was similar to the Hebrides where, like, people were just getting saved and delivered. Uh, they're not even coming to church, but all of a sudden they want to come to church, and, and, and it's just amazing. In fact, sometimes people would be preaching in a church, and, and the church service was great and everything, but then they'd walk outside, and there'd be 100 people out there waiting to get in. The government and the authorities, they didn't like this. But honestly, much of the church didn't like this either. It was an unlikely revival. It was among unlikely people. These were hippies. They had bare feet. They didn't have Air Force Ones. These were a gift, by the way. I love our youth leaders. But look at the disciples. Said the same thing about them. It was these unlikely people. Acts chapter 2, but what happened? It was when they were singing and dancing. It was when they were healing the sick. It was when they were praying. It was when they were praying. It doesn't happen without prayer. But let me just ask you, what if it happened today? How would the church respond? 
Would we be ready for something like that? What if somebody came in off the streets with bare feet or even a classical shirt on with Air Force Ones and began to preach? What if that happened? The church, much of the church in that time didn't want it. It was shaking it up too much. No, 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 this is how we do it. This is how it goes. Let me just ask, is the church ready for something like this? The greatest commandment is this, Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Hate your neighbor as your, no, love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't mince words here. <laughs> you know, I have people, well, I guess I have to love people because Jesus says I have to, right? I guess I have to love people. Uh, or some people tell me, I'm not a people person. How many people are not a people person? Yeah, at least you're honest. At least you're honest. I had one in the last service. I'm like, we need prayer right now. You know, you're not a people person. But let me just tell you, that's not an excuse to not love people. It's the greatest commandment. It's the one. It's powerful. In the church, we're certainly supposed to be taught to love God, but we should be also taught to love people. The goal from this message is that you become genuinely interested in other people. 1 John 2.11 says, but anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. I love this. Dale Carnegie, back in the 1930s, got to interview a, a magician named Hedward, Howard Thurston. All right, He was a great magician, and he was on his last show on Broadway, and over 60 million people had come to see his shows. And he had made millions of dollars, which in that time is crazy. He was asked the secret to his success. He said, before I'd go out on the stage, I'd repeat over and over, I love my audience. I love my audience. I love my audience. You know, a lot of people would have a different saying for their success. You know, a lot of magicians, they said in that day, were like, you know, I just see the big idiot across their foreheads because I'm hoodwinking them, you know? Like they're not even going to understand. Jesus says this is so important that it actually affects our relationship with him. In Matthew 5, 23 and 24, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, everybody say first. Go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Picture this for a second. We have this beautiful announcement video that Val created for us, and then the ushers begin to collect the offering, and all of a sudden you're about to put the offering in the offering plate and go, wait a minute. I've got an issue with somebody. And you put down your offering and you begin to walk out the back of the church. Now I just wonder how many of us would actually have to do that. I wonder how many of us would actually have to lay our offering down and go and be reconciled with somebody right now. I'm in the same boat. <laughs> You know, that, that happens, but Jesus said, like, it's that important. A lot of times it's like, well, once I love God, then I can really love people. He doesn't do it that way. It's this and this. He says, if you hate people, then the love of God is not in you. You don't even have it. And, and so that's how powerful this is. And I'm not talking about flattery. 
Our motivation is often more inspired by the desire to feel good about ourselves than by real love of people. We can't want another awakening just for ourselves. The definition of an awakening includes other people. Matthew 9, verse 36, this is Jesus. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He saw the crowd of people and he had compassion on them. The word compassion there in the original language actually means such like a deep emotion. It's like basically moving one's bowels. Now, I don't know, when you look at a, a crowd of people, maybe you have a bowel movement too. You guys are not listening. <laughs> but I'm telling you, that's what it means. It means like such a deep, so the other day, we found out that my wife's cancer has returned, okay? And, and, and I remember when I got the call and I'm sitting there, I literally felt like I got punched in the gut. Like it made me feel actually sick. Like this is what, this is what Jesus is talking about. He saw the people and he had such compassion on them that he began to feel it deep on his insides. Do you feel that way when you look at the crowds? How do you see them? How do you feel? Matthew 9, 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, this is a prayer, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers in his harvest field. Let me just tell you, there's not a problem with the harvest. There's a problem with the workers. There's not a problem with the harvest. There's plenty of harvest out there. There's a problem with the workers. Where's the field? Is it here? No. It's out there. If breakthrough comes too early with its accompanying fruit, we may not be spiritually mature enough to tend God's harvest. Awakening will never happen without the changing of hearts. You can't legislate something like this. You just can't. It's only gonna come by prayer. It's not gonna be the person who's in the office. That doesn't bring awakening, never has. Now I care, I vote, but I hope you pray way more than you vote. Because that's the only way that we're gonna bring awakening. That's the only way we're gonna bring revival. That's the only way that we're gonna see young Americans come to the Lord and believe in a supernatural Jesus again. Now, I wanna tell you two things real quick if you wanna take this down. Two ways that we have to switch our prayer life to bring an awakening. And here's the first one. Contending versus consuming prayer. When you see a group photo that you're in, who do you look for first? right? Oh, my chins are showing, <laughs> you know? We're like, suck it in, take it again, take it again, you know? It's like, wait, let me put on a different outfit, right? I got to get the sun just right. Who, who are you looking for? You're looking for yourself. Dale Carnegie wrote, you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in people than you can in two years by trying to get people interested in you. There's two directions that, that we can often go when we're praying for awakening and revival and when we're depending on ourselves and our own wants in awakening prayer. Number one is a fallback to religiosity, the temptation to return to making ourselves right with God by our own strengths and the methods of the past that worked before. Or there's a pushing forward too fast and impatience with God's way and timetable, and that leads to heresy. 
a temptation to run ahead of what the Spirit's actually doing. Mark Sayers in Reappearing Church said, we in the West are shaped by the passive-aggressive tone of consumerism, where we want maximum say with minimum responsibility. Ooh, I can say amen to that. We yearn for community and connection, yet fear commitment and consistency. We religiously point the finger at others while jealously guarding our own right to do as we please. We have to move from consuming to contending. It's easy to sit on the couch and throw critique without consequence. This kind of prayer, I'll be honest, is going to cost you something. We can get very self-centered with our prayers as we can with anything else. I remember when this thought first dawned on me. It was about five years ago when we first found out that my wife had cancer. I had just finished a funeral with Pastor Aaron for Ted Byer's wife. And we had just laid her to rest in the ground. And I came back to the office, got a phone call, and I was sitting crying in my office. Little did I know that Ted had come back to the church because he needed to pick up some pictures and things. And as he came back, he came down to my office to thank me for the funeral, and he found me with tears in my eyes. And of course, you know, like men do, nothing's happening, right? So, so he said, what's, what's going on, Chris? Like, do I really want to bother this man who we just buried his wife? And I just, I just cried, and I said, my, my wife's got cancer, Ted. And that man laid a hand on my shoulder, and he began to pray for me. We had just buried his wife, and he was praying for mine. You know, I think sometimes we wait for life to go perfect before we start to pray for somebody else. Can I tell you, don't do that. We need to contend. Stop consuming. Trust me, I need answered prayers today. But it doesn't stop me from praying for people. I know the Apostle Paul said this in, in 2 Corinthians. He talked about the thorn in the flesh. Right? He said, I prayed three times that God would remove this thing from me. But then God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. You want Christ's power on you? Then trust that his grace is enough. I remember there was a lady that came down soon after, and my wife was getting chemo and stuff, and we line up here at the altar, you know, ready for, to pray for people, and there was somebody over here, and somebody went to them, they bypassed me. Somebody over here, they went to them, they bypassed me. Somebody went to here, they bypassed me, and I'm standing there, and there's a lady standing right there. I'm looking, I'm, I mean, I'm available. <laughs> like, is there something wrong? You know, is it the shirt? Right? But as I'm standing there, thinking to myself, what? What's going on? I said, well, do you want me to pray for you? She goes, no, it's okay. You have a lot going on in your life. I said, it doesn't matter. I'm here to pray with you. I'm here to contend with you. I don't care what's happening in my life. I do care. But I, I care as well about what God wants to do. Not so self-centered in our prayers and consumeristic in our prayers. God, I want this. God, I want this. God, I want this. God, I want an awakening. God, do you want an awakening? Many pray for an awakening because it's what they want, but not always what God wants. I think about this in the Mount of Transfiguration. They go up the mountain. Peter, James, and John, I just love these three. I mean, they're always falling asleep at the worst times, you know, like Jesus' chosen few. I mean, it's not even like the rest of the disciples. It's the top three. And they go up this mountain, and Jesus all of a sudden is standing there with Moses and Elijah. We heard about Elijah last week, all the incredible things Elijah did. I mean, they heard stories of this guy, and they're like, he's here. 
And all of a sudden, Jesus' outfit like turns this bright glowing color. It's like, oh my goodness, what is happening right now? It's this incredible, glorious moment. It's a glorious manifestation of God. And Peter, as he does, says this in Luke 9. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I love how scripture includes this. He did not know what he was saying, <laughs> right? He's like, this is glorious, this is amazing, we're staying here, you know, we're gonna do this, and, and God speaks out of, the Father out of heaven says, this is my son, listen to him. It's easy to become enamored with the glorious manifestations and supernatural wonders of God, but do they propel us? to love God and to love people even more. The next day, it says in verse 37, the next day, they have this glorious, amazing moment. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met them. Now, could you just picture yourself for a second? Peter, James, and John had this glorious moment, and all these people about to bother them right? All these people about to, to bother them with all their situations, but multiple times in scripture it says when Jesus came down from the mountain, he healed the sick. When Jesus came down from the mountain, he had compassion on them. Like it, it, it translated to loving the people. Uh, over Christmas time, my family and I were lucky enough to uh, go to a cabin. So Christmas, the day after Christmas to that Friday, we were at a cabin up in State College, and it was really beautiful because there was snow on the ground up there, and it just felt like Christmas. I don't know. It just hasn't felt like Christmas without any snow. Um, but we went up there, and I'll be honest with you, I needed to get away. Uh, we had a lot going on here at the church. Uh, a lot of things we planned, a lot of things we didn't plan. It was a lot of things. Um, we had four Christmas Eve services. We had a Christmas Day service, right? And I said, like, Monday, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm going to the mountains, okay? I'm going to the mountains, and, and no internet. Oh, thank you, Jesus, right? And it was, it was glorious. And I remember we were, me and my kids, we went out towards the creek, and it was cold outside. There was snow on the ground, and I laid back beside the creek as Eden and Gray were playing and just looked up into the sky, and I just saw this picture, and I took a picture of it, and I was just praying to the Lord. I was just seeking some peace. Now, mind you, if you could hear the sounds, it sounds like my son is tearing apart the forest one limb at a time. Like bang, 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 right? That's about as close to peace as I can get. So, so I'm laying there, and I'm looking up, and all I'm trying to do, all I'm trying to do is just get some peace. I just need to, like, just need to reframe my mind. I just, just need to hear the Lord. There's so much going on, so much distraction, and that's really what I wanted, and I wanted it so bad. And as I'm laying there and I see this view and I'm praying to the Lord, you know what I thought about? You. Thought about you. Thought about Laura and Steve, Laura's mom and Steve's mom fighting cancer right now. I thought about Emma, Grandma Emma. I thought about Max and Emma and Max's mom dealing with cancer and things like that thought about Terry Weber just losing his stepdad and you are what went through my mind. Can I be honest? I was a little bit annoyed. I came to get away, right? Came to like just spend some time away. But as I sat there and as I'm praying to the Lord, I, I'm thinking to myself, 
God's bringing these people to my mind. And I began to pray for you. I began to contend for you. You know, when we left, my wife said to me, she's like, how was it out there? I said, I could not just, didn't I say this about thinking about everybody? And uh, she said, well, could you stay up here? Because she's not a homebody. <laughs> she's, she wants to get out, you know, do something, go somewhere. I could sit by the fire and read for like 10 hours straight, but that is not her. She's like, could you really like stay up there long-term? I said, oh yeah, I could stay up there for like six months. Absolutely. But even as that came out of my mouth, I realized, no, I couldn't. I'd be missing my purpose. I'd be missing my, my meaning in life. I'd be missing what God is telling me to do. That's to love people. I'd be missing that. Humans are happy when we're free, but we also need other things to flourish, such as meaning and deep relational connections. Now, before I tell you what the second thing is, let me tell you a little story. I was part of a meeting with a group of people in the area, a group of uh, churches and some other local things, and um, this was years ago, and as we were finishing the meeting, there was one older lady that got up, and she began to just kind of rant a little bit. She got up, and she said, kids these days, they just don't know anything about the Bible. I mean, they're, they're all doing drugs now. I mean, look at the school system. It's a mess. You know, the other day, I heard this kid stole something, and she's just going off and going off and going off, and really, on the inside of me, there's just this righteous indignation that begins to rise up. And mind you, I'm the youngest one in the room. And I stand up and I said, but whose fault is that? Whose fault is that? That's ours. That's on me. And that's why the second thing is this, blessing versus cursing prayer. Mark Sayers says, remnants are not communities built around opinion or critique. In our age of social media venting, virtue signaling, and image management, remnants choose a different path to pursue with others in the hidden places, the eternal perspective, to cry and contend to step into the gap. That's what we do. Why can't we bless the next generation? Why can't we hand down blessing? Why can't we stop critiquing the next generation? To be honest, I see more fear and anxiety about where our nation is than faith. People like to veil it in faith language, but it's not faith. I see too many parents. They're parenting out of fear rather than faith. I see too many churches ranting and criticizing and trying to prove how right they are and how wrong everyone else is, whether it's arrogant and aggressive or it's passive aggressive. Telling everyone how wrong they are all the time takes no faith. And yet, the Bible says the just shall live by faith. How often in a given day do you praise another person as opposed to criticizing them? How often do you nitpick? Why do you nitpick? I see people who used to be passionate about Jesus becoming more passionate about secondary things. Some of these people got saved in the Jesus movement. That's because that's what your news source is peddling. Can I tell you that's not what the word of God says? You know, Jesus actually sent out his disciples uh, before the Great Commission, what I like to call the Limited Commission, right? The Limited Commission is just this moment where he sends out the 72 and he says, go two by two, and he, he instructs them to go out. Now, they're not to go to the Gentiles. They only go to the Jewish people. But this is what he says. When you enter a house, first, everybody say first. First say, 
peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it'll return to you. He says, start with peace. Start with joy. Start proclaiming the kingdom of God is near. Start healing people. Start helping the sick. And yet we make the mistake of, of flipping this thing around. We make the mistake of starting with a angry and judgmental. You know, yes, he does say to shake the dust off your feet. But that's after. If they didn't receive it, shake the dust off your feet. Go to the next town. Continue proclaiming the good news about Jesus Christ. Continue bringing peace and blessing. What did the angels come and say? They said, Jesus finally has come to this earth to be judgmental against you. No, to bring peace, to bring joy. Is that what we bring? Ronald Rollhauser in Sacred Fire, it's a great discipleship book, says the mark of a deeply mature man or woman, the mark of a very mature disciple of Jesus, and the mark of someone truly giving his or her life away is this. He or she is a person who blesses others and blesses the world, just as God did, just as Jesus did. Listen, I'm naturally analytical and pessimistic. Just ask my wife. I tend to see what's wrong quicker than when I see what's right. But I refuse to let my faith rest on the pessimism of society and doomsday speculations. We can be agents of blessing or we can be agents of cursing. We get to decide. Matthew 5, 44, Jesus says this, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray, there's prayer, for those who persecute you. Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. 1 Peter 3, 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Love, bless, and pray. Love, bless, and pray. That's what we're called to do. Yes, there are gonna be difficult people. They're sitting next to you, don't look at them. But can I tell you, he's gonna give you difficult people to love. Everybody seems to think when they come to Christ, like all of a sudden, like everybody else is gonna have rainbows and butterflies too. Can I tell you that doesn't happen? And Patrick, you and Jordan can come up. And what do, what do you think ministry is? <laughs> but <clears throat> I was thinking about this as well. You know, I see too much ministry out of frustration. And ministering out of frustration is never fruitful. I love the people. I love the people. I love the people. In Hosea 10, 12, he says this, and he's speaking to an adulterous nation. I mean, he's literally playing out an adulterous scenario so that Israel can see what they've been like. They've been looking everywhere else for their needs. In fact, God blessed the nation, gave them a bunch of material goods and wealth and all those other things, and they turn around and they don't praise him. But he says this in Hosea 10, 12, sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. That's what a awakening prayer looks like. To sow righteousness. To reap fruit of unfailing love. The, the word is hesed. It's basically the Old Testament version of agape from the New Testament. 
It's such a deep, powerful love, an unfailing love. To break up uh, fallowed ground or unplowed ground is soil that's been so neglected and hardened that it can't receive seed. Now, I'm not a farmer, but imagine that you had 100 acres of land, right? Your inheritance is 100 acres of land, but you've only plowed 20 of it. So that's all that's getting the rains. That's all that's receiving the seed. And, and so certainly maybe there's, there's some fruit to that. But he's saying to plow to the edge of your whole inheritance. Plow to the edge of your inheritance. How, how far have we stopped plowing the ground of our heart? How, how far have we stopped looking for harvest? The workers are few, but the harvest is plentiful. What if you haven't even begun to touch the full reality of your inheritance? The only way to break up that kind of soil is through prayer. I wish I could tell you that there's like a one, two-step process. Like first we sing this fast song and then a slow song, right? And then you spin around three times and then God delivers. That's not how he works. He only works in response to prayer. It's his decision on when, when the righteousness, he said, it said showers you with righteousness. Keep doing it until he comes and showers you with righteousness. Would we be ready for an awakening, church? Would we really be ready to love people the way he's called us to love them when they walk into the doors of this church? When they see our reality outside of this building? When, when they look at the next generation and they see how they're an example of faith, if awakening comes on unprepared hearts, it's simply going to wash away. Sadly, in the Jesus movement, there were churches that did not see that. Hosea 13, 10.13 13 says what happens the other way. But if you've planted wickedness, you have reaped evil. You've eaten the fruit of deception because you've depended on your own strength and on your many warriors. What kind of crop is going to grow out of the seeds that you're planting today? Let me just tell you, if it's a lot of cursing, if it's a lot of criticizing, if it's a lot of hating, you're going to reap what you sow. We need to love where we are with who God has given us in real and practical ways. Without this type of prayer, we can end up as good people, but as people who are not very deep, not bad, just busy, not immoral, just distracted, not lacking in soul and desire, just preoccupied. It's not that we don't want depth. It's just we're never doing the things that get us there. Listen, you could stay at home more, watch more shows that cultivate fear, pride, lust, numb your spiritual passion and create cynicism in your heart, or you can come to prayer. You can come. And no matter what's happening in my life, I'm going to pray for you. No matter what's happening in some of your lives, we pray for each other. And so we fulfill the law of Christ, bearing one another's burdens. Oh, I absolutely pray that God would deliver my wife of this cancer. 100%. But it doesn't mean that I'm also not still praying for God to deliver Max's mom of cancer. For God to deliver Johanna from whatever the test results will show. Mark, who I believe was having a surgery. like the, the, All these situations that are happening in this church, if somebody comes into your mind, love them, pray for them, 
what if they're the person who annoys me? Love them. Pray for them. What if they annoyed me again? <laughs> Love them and pray for them. Hunger is the secret to awakening and revival. And the hunger attracts the presence and power of God. Sometimes the best thing you can do is get off of social media and actually pray for others. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes the best thing you can do is to get off of social media and actually pray for others. Please, church, please pray. Please contend. Please believe. Please bless. Please love. Pray. Go to people. If somebody comes into your mind, I loved it. Uh, Chris, um, oh my gosh, Chris and Sophia Bears Cove. Chris called me one day and he said, hey, I was just thinking of you and I thought instead of sending a text message, I'd call you and see what's going on. Little did he know what we were going through. But you know what's awesome about that? I'm like, Chris, isn't today your birthday? He's like, yeah, it is. I said, well, happy birthday, man. Let me pray for you. You know what I mean? Like, that's just, that's just how the church looks. That's just what the way the church looks. We love God and we love people. Oh, I'm not a people person. Well, become a people person. Break up the unplowed ground. How much inheritance are you missing out on because you haven't loved and prayed for people? I'm gonna ask you these questions. I want you just to close your eyes for a second and just answer honestly. Just answer this honestly. Do you care about the next generation? Do you love them? Do you care about those in a different socioeconomic class? I mean, do you love them? Do you care for the millionaires and the billionaires? Do you love them? <laughs> do you love your neighbor? Do you love your enemies? And last question, do they know that? You can open your eyes. Do they know that? Can they tell? Can they tell that you've been loving on them? Can they tell that you've been praying for them? Can they tell that you've been blessing them? That's why we need this kind of prayer. That's how we are going to get an awakening again in our nation. And I say, let it start with Wrightsville. If it can happen in the Hebrides with 82 and 84-year-old woman, she never got her sight back. But man, a lot of people got saved. Situation after situation, like literally they would stop the service and then like the service would end in the morning, but it wouldn't end then until like 2 a.m. because people were just so overcome with the presence of God. That's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Would you be ready for that? Or would you be ready to go home and turn on Netflix again? Would you be ready to go on and rant about the next problem with society? Or will you contend for the heart of the Father? Are you willing to dig a well that's not just gonna sustain you, but it's gonna overflow to everyone else? I want you to stand here with me as we close. And I wanna do something very specific, very specific, and it's not gonna be comfortable. I want us to pray for your enemy. We're gonna pray for your enemy. Now, I don't know if you have an enemy. Hopefully they're not beside you or in this room. <laughs> but maybe if you're like, I don't have an enemy. Well, pray for who's been discouraging you the most. Pray for who you disagree with the most. 
Pray for the person who just won't get off your back. Pray for the person in the community that just seems to be ruining everything. Pray for the President of the United States. (laughs) Pray more than you vote. Pray that God would break up your unfallowed, your fallowed ground, your unprepared soil in your heart because there's some people that are going to show up at this church that you would have never expected. There are some people that are going to show up because of a sovereign move of God and your heart better be prepared. There's an awakening coming. The birth pains are happening. We are right on the on the edge, on the precipice of, of the culture being very similar than it, like it was in the 60s. I mean, many of those things that I was talking about are happening today. But I don't, I don't look at it and go like, oh, poor us. I look at it and go, God's about to do something. God's about to bless us. God's about to pour out his spirit again in a sovereign way. There's about to be people who come to the Lord that are so far beyond what I could ask, think, or imagine. Man, the hippies are going to come in the back door with bare feet again, and we're going to sing, and we're going to dance, and we're going to be excited about it because God is moving. So I want you to picture that person in your head. It's okay if it's me. Please pray for me. (laughs) Please. If it's your spouse, pray for your spouse. If it's your children and they just keep nagging you, pray for your children. Pray that God would break up the hardened soil of your heart. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, right now that we can come to you. God, we do. We want an awakening in our nation. We want an awakening in our society. We want revival, Lord, to come not only to this nation, but to this community, to this church, to the families in this church, God, for the, for the youth that are far from you right now, God. We pray for an awakening, a quickening of their hearts. God, for those, Lord, that that we just can't stand, God, we pray for them right now. God, we pray for those that that have hardened hearts, and we look at the crowds, and God, we see them today with compassion, realizing they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're being harassed. They need to hear good news. They need to hear that there's a Jesus that loves them, that cares for them. Jesus, pour out your spirit in a sovereign way. Jesus, that 75% of people in this community would get saved outside of these church walls. And they'd come running. That we wouldn't be able to fit them in the doors because they want to seek a real living Savior. God, for for the prodigal sons and daughters that are out there, God, would we have the heart of the Father who will run to them and wrap our arms around them and bless them and put a ring on their finger and not say, wait a minute, you better clean up quick. Before I say anything to you, God, help us to shift our heart posture, God, to love people like you love them. God, for those that that even raised their hand and just admitted, and I thank God that they admitted, I'm just not a people person. It's easy for you, Pastor Chris, but I'm not a people person. I pray specifically for them. I thank you, Lord, that you've gifted them in ways you haven't gifted me. I thank you that you've given them, Lord, sight and vision and prophetic eyes to see things that I I can't see, I can't hear. Help them, Lord, to hear your still small voice and that they can send a text message, that they can call somebody up. 
God, I thank you, Lord, that you are moving in your church, that you want to pour out blessing. It's not your desire that people would falter and fall. You've always got your hand outstretched, waiting for us to reach up by faith and touch. So God, from the world to the nation, to the community, to the church, to our families, to our individual hearts, bring revival, bring awakening. God, we're gonna trust you. We're gonna believe, we're gonna love, we're gonna pray, we're gonna serve, we're gonna go. God, in this moment, I also pray for Rachel Trout's neighbor. Kelly Robbins, her, her husband just died. They have two kids that are in the release time program. God, we, we just lift them up to you because we don't believe the first time magazine that God's dead. We believe in a, believe in a living savior who's come not only to save us from our sins, but to give us the Holy Spirit, the comforter. God, thank you, Lord, that everything that you're doing in your church today is by your spirit, not by our power, not by our might, but by your spirit, says the Lord. So God, prepare us. Prepare us, Lord, for the harvest. Prepare us for the increase. Prepare us for the opportunity to love like we've never loved before. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Can you put your hands together one more time for the Lord here today?